The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. We are in week two. And just like that, today we are flipping the script. I am now officially in the hot seat, all because of the recap we had with the CEO of Viral Nation. David had been asking me too many questions answering a recap, so we're flipping the script. David's going to ask me any and every question about my life as a corporate banker, a student, an influencer, and all the monetization, the money questions and curiosities that come with it. You know, these are conversations David and I haven't had. These are conversations I don't have with my friends because it's not really comfortable. It's not really comfortable to talk about money, whether you're in debt and buried in it, or you're even doing well. Some of these conversations can create embarrassment, uh, loneliness. They can create jealousy and envy. But they're conversations, in my opinion, no matter where you stand financially, we got to have them because the quicker we can get comfortable with these conversations, the more information all of us have, and the better we will all be as consumers, investors, and workers when we're making purchasing decisions, when we're taking out debt, no matter what we're doing. And then the other thing is like, honestly, I was inspired by the podcast with Dean. I was so wildly impressed with his honesty his transparency, everything from being you know, 10K in debt from getting tased by a police officer to health insurance bills that increase, student debt bills, but how he got himself out, but also recognizing was self-aware of the ways he's got himself out. And so if I'm going to come on here and have a podcast and expect the same from every guest that comes on here, who the hell am I not to do the same? So that being said, I am given the curious Canadian, the beauty of all beauties, David Ardoin, the chance to interview me. David, we talked about everything from what people pay to a freaking, you know, a blue check mark to what the future of influencing looks like to student debt, corporate America, the titles, A to Z, some of the conversations you and I have never had, but we're doing it. I always joke around right here, right now. We are here. We're doing it. So let's rip this podcast up. I'm going to stop talking. We are going to open the bell with not the guest, but actually the host of this podcast, because I'm going to be his guest, the curious Canadian, the voice of the freaking viewers, David Arnowin. Let's go, baby. I am fired up for this. I'm like licking my chops here, ready to get ready to grill you with some questions and and really just do a nice little walk down memory lane of uh, corporate bank Jay. I'm like so like excited. <laughs> I'm fumbling over my words. I love to that. Influencer Jay. Uh, but <laughs> first off, Jay, I think everyone should know we're recording this uh, yep. May 24th, which is the official launch of our podcast today. Yes. So Jay, congrats. We made it. Quick round of applause. Let's go. Hey, we did it. We did uh, it. Got to celebrate the little things. Uh, an exciting day today. How are you feeling so far? Day one, the launch two episodes in, what kind of feedback you've been getting? So honestly, I was like, when you launch anything, you're apprehensive super apprehensive, but I've been so refreshed by the feedback. Someone sent me a link to what a, <laughs> I won't name the person. They sent me a link to Reddit where apparently there was a breakdown of the podcast and they're like, I don't know what you're doing, but usually no one says anything good about anyone I hear <laughs> and people are giving you good feedback. I'm like, all right, let's take it. And that's, uh, I, I feel so far pretty good about kind of like what we're doing. I wasn't sure if this concept would hit. Uh, I'm hoping that listeners kind of keep us on track to make sure we're doing what we're trying to do. But that's, it's been really good. It's refreshing. What do you, what do you think? What do you hear? I think it's been great. Uh, I mean, this is all new to me. So like clicking down and seeing a comment of something that I was a part of is like terrifying. I don't know how you do it on a daily basis, Um, but seeing like comments and stuff and seeing like, I love this concept, great perspectives, great insights. Dean was amazing. Jason, you're so funny. Um, Someone said that they liked my questions. So I was like, good pat on the back. It's a good moment. But uh, what what I think that people are going to really resonate with is, is things like this episode. Just anytime people feel like they're we're putting them in our shoes or and vice versa, I think they're going to take a lot out of. I think D- Dean was a fantastic first guest. I think Joe is like an absolutely mind-blowing episode. And hopefully episode three doesn't disappoint. So I'm David, looking to get into and it. And here's one thing I got to say. We had someone... I, I don't want to put their name out there, but big... Uh, kind of a big name, okay? And their manager knows one of our contacts. And they reached out and said, the individual's like, 
I don't want to talk about what I make in an event. Okay, fuck it. It was a big DJ. Okay, I'll say that. <laughs> I, do, I, can't, I can't come on your podcast and talk to you about what I make to DJ one night because I'm so unco- like I feel so mortified to do that. But what you're doing is incredible because no one will do that, including myself. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about it. I'm embarrassed to tell you that's how much I make in one night DJing. And we're, I'm talking about a big DJ. So to me, that's a sign this is working. This yes. is this is something that could work. These are conversations we're uncomfortable to have. Whether you're making, you know, a million bucks for putting a, I don't know, a fruit juice in front of you on a commercial, or you're buried in debt. It doesn't matter what spectrum. They're conversations we need to get comfortable with because the sooner we do, the better we'll be off. And that was probably like the biggest piece of feedback to me that got me fired up because I'm like, we're doing this. Let's keep breaking this mold. Let's talk about money. Not for the good, bad, bragging or arrogance. Let's just talk about it. Breaking the stigma, baby. It's what it's all about. So speaking of podcasts, uh, we're off and running here. Uh, you had mentioned in the in the Dean episode that you were offered 100K for the Clickbait podcast. You turned it down uh, for a few reasons. But I think we owe the listeners at home, before we get into a little bit about your influencer life, I think we owe them with our financials and our contracts and everything looks like for our podcast, just to give people an idea of what we're coming from and what we're working with. So why don't you shed some some light on that? Man, this could be a podcast in itself. Long, I'll make a long story short. The CAA agency reached out to me because of a connection we had through Caitlin. And they were just like, hey, there's this new network that's blowing up. And I know you're doing a lot in finance and business. And this could be a good fit. I don't know if you have thought about a podcast. But if you have the, the right idea, I think it could be a good fit. Pitch the idea. They pitched it to the network. We did the deal. The deal was a little different than 100K up front, right? It was just 70-30 split. So I get 70% of all the ad revenue that comes in. And what they said was, probably sharing, you know what, I was going to say I'm sharing too much, but that's the whole thing is like, you're not sharing too much about the money. Then the thought that I thought, this is a rule for everyone, read your fucking contracts. Yes. I thought, in my understanding, it said to the company, in a 30-page document, said to the company, we will give a thousand, it had a $1,000 administrative fee. Now, as a person in the contract, I'm not the company, I'm actually the lender. And so the $1,000 administration fee I thought was going to me. So I thought I could use that to bring on a guy like you, right, David? Come on board, help me with some pre-production, do a recap. I'll give you 500 of that thousand. I'll give the other 500 to the booking guy. I'll give you guys a percentage of revenue too. I then quickly learned that that $1,000 is actually goes to the network. So for me, what it is, is it's 70-30 after costs of the podcast. And then once those costs are covered, which are really minimal, then they take another $1,000 out. So $1,000 going to the company, them, not me. And then I would get the 70% of that ad revenue. And then of course, with the team we have here, Evan Saar and David Ardwin, we have a revenue split. So there's no money on the table. No idea if we'll make a penny from this, but we'll give it a shot. 70-30. We got 70% of the revenue if we get any revenue. And if we don't, <laughs> we have some great fucking memories and they're recorded. Exactly. That's what it's all about. So uh, yeah, but let's hope we get some revenue from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That uh, would be nice. Subscribe, rate, rating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you guys give us five things. stars, please, and subscribe because we have zero advertisers <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Exactly. But we'll it's get coming. That. It's coming. So, all right. So let's get into it a little bit here. Okay. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, want to hit the fast forward button, but let's talk a little bit about before I get to the end and yep. where you're at now, let's talk a little bit about the beginning. Okay. Um, people want to hear from you and what it was like. Uh, you're the star of the show. Uh, I'm just the host right now. Talk about your transition into being an influencer. I get off the show, right off the show. I go back to work. So I go back to work. I don't know what the hell's going on. And honestly, people were like, oh, maybe you'll be The Bachelor or whatever. So I was like, okay, I'll do whatever it takes to be The Bachelor. And I knew that the show doesn't like when you do posting and stuff. So for that summer, I didn't do shit. I just went back to work. And then I started getting all these calls about, you know, go here, go do this. You'll get paid to do this. You post this. I'm like, whoa, there's some money. But I'm still going to wait until they figure out what they want The Bachelor. I don't want to piss anyone off. And I was still working. And the work, while work was actually utilizing me a little bit because the edit was good, they were like, hey, go speak over here. There was an event that Aunt, like it was a, a non-for-profit that they asked me to like host. That was not my, I shouldn't have been hosting. It should have been like a regional president. And they were kind of like leveraging it a little bit. So I was working and then all of a sudden they decide Colton will be the bachelor. And I'm like, go, like, let's, let's do this. 
So I immediately start like, boom, 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 give me deals. Like, like, let's do it. And so for about a year, I was working and then doing any and any influencing. And I refer to that year as like my double dip year. Yeah, that was a crazy time in your life. I remember you trying, and you lived in Seattle too, and you're traveling like across country for all these things too. Is nuts. It was also a headache because everything I did, my job was watching. My job would watch the time I would post. So I would post at like, you know, 501 because technically it's after five, even though I'm still doing work. So it was like super stressful because all eyes were watching both sides of it. And honestly, it got to a point where the personal life of like sharing my personal stories with the like fake phony, here's my corporate life front, which is like, you know, perfect in a suit, which isn't really me, collided. And that's when it all blew up. So it blew up in the best way possible because you're sitting here today with your own podcast, being able to talk about these things. At this point, though, making zero dollars, but with my best buddies. (laughs) Yes. So... Uh, one thing that you have adopted from the start, which has been, you know, what from what Joe told us, brilliant was you've really found a, a I don't want to say a niche by any means, but you fit in into the most profitable area of the ratings bucket, the ever elusive ratings bucket that Joe talked about, which I can't imagine is something that you consciously did at the start. But did you know that the ratings bucket existed when you first became an influencer, or was just this something that you? like a branding decision or, or talk about that a little bit. So the rate, so at first I thought you were going to talk about like creating a niche, but when you talk about the ratings bucket, are you talking about mm-hmm. when Joe said that our rate, like people that have R rated content will make less money than G rated content. When Joe said 100%, 100%, that like the like, kids make the, the most money Context behind that is like you, <laughs> you have, you know, you said, you said it in the intro, like freaking you've tweeted smoke delicious. <laughs> I have buddies text me like, wait, you're really friends with this guy. Like look at this tweet. He says this and this to, like, is he a cheese ball? I'm like, no, like he's just, Hey, he's smart. And, uh, this is kind of who he is. So, um, just a little bit about that. But like you said, like you had, you positioned it well for the work that you're doing. So All right, I just want to know if okay, that was like that, a conscious decision. I'm glad I asked you that. Cause that is good context that your boys are chirping me for the way I talk <laughs> on social media and or the bachelor. Cause they're probably like, that's not the, like, if Jason was in a hockey locker room, he would probably say, fuck, not freaking, right? He wouldn't say, holy smoke delicious. He'd say like, holy shit. Uh, so why is he talking like that? I would assume that's what they're saying. So if that's the case, I will tell you this. I didn't know the fact that if you're like a G-rated influencer, that more of the big companies will want to work with you. I had no idea about that. But I did probably like my whole corporate thing of bleeding in, like you got to kind of like you know, be the part, fit the part. I do think that bleeds in a little bit because I'm so, it's crazy. Like the audience, like, you know, when I put a story out or something, right? Like my mom sees it, but also people like all these different people see it. And I just feel like, I don't know, my question to you, all right, I'm going to turn it back on you. That's what I've always been taught in the business world, right? When you're stuck in a wall, turn it back on them. So let me ask you this. And I do mean this. If you sit down with your grandmother or you're coaching because you're a coach of one of the best hockey teams for you know uh, youth America, 16s, right? 16 team. Yep. You're talking to the 16-year-olds or you're talking to us in a group chat. Are you using the same language? Are you using the same tone? Are you acting the same? I'm not saying you're a different person, but every human out there, whether you're talking to your boss or your partner or your mom or your dad, don't you tailor the conversation to what it should be? You're 100% right. No, you, ha- you have to tailor the conversation to how it should be. You have to, right? And it, and I honestly think that it must get exhausting for you to have to not try and appease everyone. But at the end of the day, it's like, as your friend, I sometimes get annoyed and frustrated with defending you over why you're posting like this or tweeting like that. And like, like freaking instead of freaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think eh, it's an interesting... Well, it's funny that you would say that as like a good friend, but then my mom would be like, can you stop putting alcohol in your in your drinks? Like all you do is post when you're drinking. Why don't you post when you're not drinking? So it's tough. I think the answer is you'll never. Here's the thing: you'll never be able to make everyone happy. You'll never be able to appease everyone. So I think the thing is, is like find your lane of who you are, and then stay in the parameters of what that makes sense to you. And whatever other noise comes your way, like whatever, I don't care. But I did and, not and know you- about the p. I did not know. At all, that like a kid who's G-rated will make way more money than like an R-rated person because the big companies want to be associated with that. I had no idea. It makes perfect sense. And you have totally, obviously, found your niche, and you've been very successful with it so far. Which is why you're probably able to do this for a career. Let's call a spade a spade. 
you with your experience as a corporate banker and your MBA, like, do you miss it at all? Do you miss the corporate world at all? Fuck no. But the identity I was living was the identity that the mission of that company wanted me to live. I'm a checkbox guy. I think our system teaches us to be checkbox people. We go to school. You got to finish your first grade. You got to finish your second grade. You got to get an A on a test. The system has been a checkbox system. And those who checkbox well succeed. And for me, that's at least what I saw in my head. So I felt like I had to keep doing that. Okay, this bank gave me a good job. Got to check the box. And I, I was becoming a spitting image of everything corporate wanted me to become instead of just becoming it all who I was. And as weird as it is, as bizarre as it is, it was the freaking reality show that broke this like shell away from me in which I felt like for the first time, I could just be me whenever I wanted any, to. But do, you, but do you miss anything? Like, do you miss getting paid at the same time every month? Do you miss, let's just, do you miss having a set schedule, like a nine to five, knowing you have your evenings free? Do you miss the, like the anonymity of like not being recognized because you're a corporate banker, not an influencer? I miss the, I think that's a really good question. Did I say that right? Anonymity? That's an elite word. I don't, is that a word? I'm an English guy. Is that a word? Anon- yeah. oh, an admitting, whatever. An anomaly? That's what I'm thinking of finding an email. Um, I don't. I, I I really don't. I the only thing I miss is the security, right? Like the security of knowing your check comes in. The security of, you know, you get PTO, you get vacation. Benefits. Like benefits are can be expensive when you're on your own. But I don't miss any security is a trap though, man. The security is a trap. Security is a trap, right? The whole, yeah, the security is what keeps you stuck there, right? It's like the dangled carrot model. It's keep it in front of you and keep running as fast as you can move from Rochester to Seattle. Keep going, keep chasing it. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't miss it. I don't miss it at all. I don't miss it at all. For those who are listening, who are stuck in a corporate environment like you were, and I don't want to say stuck because you can be successful, you can still lead a happy life. I mean, I was what stuck. advice can you give someone in that structure, though, to enhance their day-to-day experience or enhance or, or become more successful or have a little more fulfillment? So I literally just submitted a manuscript for a book, all for this. That's 10 chapters. But what I will tell you quickly is you got to create a financial gap to bridge. Right. So when I was doing the double dip, when I was working, I hated it. I didn't want to still be a banker, but I had to set up the financial uh, position to be able to take the leap. That's one. The second thing is you have to identify what, peel the onion back, what is it you're stuck with? Is it your title? Is it your mobility? Is it your pay? Is it your passion? Is it the fact that status quo is a fear of yours? What the hell is it that you are unhappy with? Because the solution to all those changes night and day based on what they are. And so that's the feedback I'd give is like, anyone, you're hearing this and you're like, I don't like this. Pull it back. What is, is it your boss? Is it that you don't like what you do? You're not proud of what you do? You don't like your title? You don't like your pay? You're passionless? Your fear of change? What is it? And based on what that is, then you'll put a solution in place to get to the next step. All right. Wow. So I I'm like, like that fired response. up. I'm ready to like go run through a wall. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> and I'm ready to start asking money questions. Yeah, I'm like, like okay, let's you're go. like, okay, shut the um, fuck up. <laughs> two before, on? okay, one more before the money question. Easy, Tony Robbins. I, I will say one of the feedback that we did get was was a lot about Dean's story about his his debt and a debt. Before we get into the income, before we go to the good, yeah, we got to go to the bad. Sure. Um, 25k in debt. It's a lot of money. It's probably a common amount for a lot of maybe some people who had been in their are listening to this podcast. Started with a ten thousand dollar hospital bill from being tased, which is crazy. Have you ever been tased, by the way? No, I've no, I've okay. never been tased, but I got the um, I got sprayed when I did mm-hmm. a I did a little police internship in high school. I was considering being a police officer, which is wow. insane. In high school, I did a 10-week internship, and I'm like, that's not for me. And that's the list of things sprayed. I probably didn't you know. Have to, get, to carry but, pepper spray in New York, you actually have to get pepper sprayed, which is why we got pepper sprayed. I think wild. it was literally uh, the cops just wanting to like fuck with us, and they did. <laughs> what's your What's your experience with debt, though, in your life? Have you, like, we went to Geneseo together at yep. the SUNY school. Like, we came from blue-collar families. Like, w- w- do you have experience with debt? I know you must have. Yeah. First of all, one of the things you said, David, and I'm not sure, that's why I love having you here is like just being like the curious person and the voice of the viewer. But you said like, I want to go to the bad. And I think it's super important that everyone knows out there like, and and I'm not calling you out. I'm just want to put this out there. If you have debt, that's not 
bad. If you're in a tough financial position, I don't think it makes sense to look down on it because the biggest thing is like recognizing that where you're at is okay. No one is alone here. No one is alone. Americans right now have seven, on average, every household has $7,000 of rolling credit card debt. $7,000 of rolling credit card debt. The average rate on that is like 17%. There's $1.7 trillion of student debt. There's almost $1 trillion of credit card debt in total in America. So this is like kind of a systemic issue. And, and, and this is, again, a whole nother podcast. The biggest thing to know, based on your financial situation, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shamed. You're not alone. Let's identify what's happening and let's put a solution in place. I was just on Ann Heesh's uh, podcast. Her co-host, Heather, didn't want to... She literally wouldn't open her bills. She goes, I just throw my bills away. What's the first step there? Let's just open our bills. Let's talk about it. What debt and what percentage? And boom, within one month, we got her refinanced. You can't fix a solution until you address a solution. And no one here should be embarrassed or shamed that they're in debt or they're in a tough position. It's just about recognizing it, talking about it, because there are so many solutions. And the people that don't talk about it are the people that will Google the solutions. They're going to get trapped again by the system because they're going to get people. They're going to say they'll clean their debt out and they're going to get completely fucked over. So talk about it, own it. From a debt perspective, I've had debt for my MBA. It was pretty expensive. I literally, what I was doing was because I had the cash flow in, I budgeted the cash flow. I had 0% interest credit cards. I was putting my fucking student debt for my on credit cards, but it was 0% interest for a certain period of time. And I was working the payments off of those based on the scholarship, based on the way I could get my company to help me pay. And then my cash flow and then budgeted my expenses. So it was limited enough that literally I got out, it was two and a half years, part-time, uh, over a hundred thousand dollar private MBA, all paid out of my pocket or the scholarship I negotiated for or my company that helped out a little bit. And I used literally a 0% interest credit card to help me pay that off. You got to jump on. You can't have rolling credit card debt. End of story. Refinance, restructure, repay. I'm done. Next. Cannot. Cannot have credit card debt. (laughs) That's that's my one takeaway. Cannot have credit card debt. And if you have credit card debt, it's okay. Address it. Yeah. People love the numbers from this podcast. I think that's one thing that when you say no one talks about it, we're putting actual numbers. Is there a number like that you could, when you talk about your debt experience, is there a number that you can say, hey, I used to be at one point in my life, I was 10,000, 20,000? Is there a number? I think I remember, again, this is all ballparking, but I do mm-hmm. remember there was a point that that credit card amount was up to probably in the $20,000 range. Wow. That, that dollar amount was, again, it was majority of like when my, I was my, making my payments. And I was fortunate enough that I used a 0% interest credit card that I just timed it right. And, and that was the thing. I was fucking freaking out if I ever lost my job. That was the one thing is that put so much stress on my life though to even be more check the box, do what I got to do. Hey boss, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Because if I lost that job and I had that debt, I was screwed. Well, it's just like we just said, it's the security. That's it's the trap. That, that you miss the, the security trap. of the job, but it's the that trap. That was it. So there was, I would say the highest was like 20, 30K. But then I, you know, I was the fuck, I was the corporate soldier. I'm miserable. I hate my life. I hate my job. Well, I don't hate my life, but I hate my job. I don't like what I'm doing. I have serious anxiety about it. Uh, I go into serious detail on this in the book, but I will be here. I will do what you need me to do because I have to pay my credit card off. And I was fortunate enough to finish school, pay all that credit card off. And I, I didn't pay any interest for doing it now. So I, got, I got some credit I had, card points too, which is nice. <laughs> I had $32,000 in student debt when I, uh, when I was done school too. So I've been there. I've been there yeah. for sure. It's a, a very dude, trying to make it in America very... too. And then no credit card company wants to give you a, a credit card because you don't have a credit score. No place wants to give you car insurance because you have no credit. So it's a, it's a, it's a real thing, but there's always a way. There's always a way to, to, to find a strategy, find something that works for you. If it's a 0% interest credit card, then that's the place. So. And I think, I think David, it starts with this. People that are trying to refinance real quickly, I want to touch on this. First of all, 
take care of your highest interest rate debt first. That's one. Look at other options, right? Refinancing through the credit card, personal loans. You could borrow off your 401k. You could borrow off your house. Uh, you can get a co-signer. And if, if worse comes to worse and everyone's saying, oh, I'm screwed. My cre- I can't do anything. My credit sucks. All right, let's fix your credit. Let's hold there. Let's keep paying what you're paying for a little bit. Let's fix your credit. People should know this. 65% of your credit is based on two things. What you owe, like the total amount of availability you have on your credit and your payment history. Right? So keep your balances as low as you possibly can. 30% of your credit score is determined by the line of credit people give you versus the line of credit you borrow on. So let's first start paying that down a little bit. The 35% is payment history. Are you making your payments on time? So put in auto pay, put in auto ACH, put reminders in your calendar on a reoccurring monthly basis. Let's first fix your credit. And once your credit score is tight, you're going to save so much money over the whole course of your loan because banks will lend based on what your credit score is. And that is how they determine the risk that they're taking on. And I'm done with credit and debt, but that's my take. <laughs> this guy has like stats on stats that like, I wish I could tell you he's like reading off something. He's just like, no, he's just like, no, it's everything is just dialed in his brain is fascinating. Okay. Flip the script here. Now we're talking about deals that you've done. Like give us some insight Give us a real world example of a deal that you did with Joey Viral, Viral Nation. So Viral Nation does, they do a lot of blue chip companies, right? So big, big companies. So I did, here's the, all right, let me just tell you, like, again, I'm being honest, right? As you're asking me this, I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? Because I haven't reviewed those contracts to know if there's some type of confidentiality agreement that I can't disclose what those brands are and what the amounts are. So that's what's going through my brain right now. Because those are brands I already did. I put the deals out there. I got paid. But I'm now wondering, like, is there some like weird clause that if I like told all this, it would come back? So that's what's going through my head. So I'm going to give you a high level because of that. But I can think of one I did, which is a big insurance company. Everyone would know it. It was a three-month deal. And it was, it paid monthly for it. And so that's how it was three month deal insurance company. And based on what I would do, it would, it would pay like monthly for that month. So I think everything from like a three year committed deal to a one year committed deal to go post one story and one in feed, and then you get immediately paid. So that's how it varies. But with Viral Nation, he is right. They work with like the biggest, best companies. So that's where all my insurance money is going to to these uh, progressives and these all states of the world. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it's a kind of a it's kind of a good point, right? Like, think about the marketing spend behind anything. Think about what you're wearing right now. Think about what you drink. Think about every the colors you like. Everything that we do, this system is spending billions of dollars to analyze and 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 understand us to sell to us. Think about the shirt I'm wearing. The Apple Watch I have, I have Apple everything, right? Like all everything is designed for that purpose. So it's crazy. It's crazy. And I think I think the biggest takeaway from that is like, as consumers, let's just be aware of it. It's there's no problem that I got an Apple Watch, but let's be aware of these things and then make the best decision that fits us, not them. Hundred percent. I mean, the, the the Joey viral episode, the last episode. It, I listened back to it today because it launched. It blows my mind. It's exactly what we're talking about. There's nothing is for granted. Everything is calculated in this. So even logos, right? Like Taco Bell's logo, the time they spent in the colors and what they mean and how the colors resonate with us. And think about it, McDonald's, Burger King, all these all these fa- these fast food chains, red and yellow. You'll always see. Because that drives energy, impulse, things like that. So everything. Yeah, my mouth, my mouth's watering right now. As exactly. You <laughs> I mean, like it's when you open your eyes to this stuff, you're just like blown away. Like, whoa. Yeah, all I can think of it is like a cheesy gorgonita crunch and a Big Mac right now. But <laughs> wait, is that your order? No, okay. I'll go Crunchwrap Supreme, three soft tacos from Taco Bell. Probably get the Cinnabon donuts as well. Those are things are fire. Have you ever had them from there? Talking about chicken quesadillas, unbelievable. And the chips and cheese, not bad. Mighty Tacos would trump that all day. Quick McDonald's order, quarter pound with cheese. I'd probably get a four-piece McNugget, um, barbecue sauce on the side, cherry Coke if possible. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm standard McDonald's order. Okay, let's get Big back Mac, to it. chicken, <laughs> McDouble, small fry. Interesting. Just standard. Economy guy. Yeah. Okay, back to business. All right. Uh, sorry. This is what we do best. Yeah, can we get a McDonald's sponsor, please? So you and I could do a whole podcast about a lot of things. Food, one of them. Your revenue streams is probably another one of them. But you are... And you taught me really well about side hustles. Um, yeah. You know, 
as much as you're a friend of mine, you're also someone that I look to for advice. I'm a hockey coach. I make 50 grand a year. I do something that I love. Um, and I'm very proud of it, but to get where we want to get in life and, and, and have the things and security that we want, we got to get it on our own. One of the revenue streams that you have that I'm very curious of is the book. And you've referenced it a couple of times, yeah. but I'm curious about your book. A, I'm curious how books are something of such an old school nature that you would think are a dying breed, but seem <laughs> almost impossible to get in the like book scene. So what is the goal with your book? Okay. Great question about the book because I have brought it up a few times. And that's a, and a lot of people ask me, how does this work? I don't think my mom... I've told my mom like 10 times now. I still don't think she really gets the concept of how the book thing works. So first and foremost, I was very lucky. An agency saw what I was doing with Restart. And this is why I think like branding, whatever you want to do, guys, you're out there, like brand it in some way. It doesn't have to be social media, whatever. Brand it because... People will see it and then they might come. An agency reached out to me because they saw what I was doing with Restart. It was March of that year. Hey, shit just hit the fan. You talk about Restart. Is there a book concept? There is a book concept. So I thought long and hard about it. I sat in a room. Never forget it. I had to write a proposal by myself. So I put 50 pages together. She goes, we'll shop the proposal out. 50 pages, dude. I was like literally losing yeah. my mind. I was walking back and forth. Caitlin's like, what are you doing up here? It almost reminded me of like, you ever see like, like criminal investigators on TV shows. They have like post-its all over the walls and stuff. I had like all these post-its. Anyway, got it done. You then package it up and you submit it. So we said our goal was to get it to the top five publishers. The big five is what they call it apparently. Okay. And so three of them wanted to interview me, met with three of them. And then it went, no go. And then what happens, we weren't getting answers. So we put a deadline on it. By this day, this time, it was like five o'clock. You need to let us know. Publisher one, gone. Two, gone. Three, gone. Four, gone. I'm thinking book deals out the window. Five, literally an hour before the deadline, made an offer for a two book deal. What happens if like five wasn't? It's like you can't get a book no matter what, like that's just done. So I asked that. So the question would be, you would then go down to the next group of publishers and the next group of publishers. And let me just be fully transparent to anyone listening here. The only reason that a publisher would be interested in what I have to say about a book is like maybe because the content I'm doing a restart is good and like the background and okay, if it's a script like MBA, blah, blah, blah. But also because of a following, right? So, mm -hmm. okay. So you do have experience. You have done this, but you also have a platform. I think that's my guess. I don't know. But a lot of people can self-publish. And you can make a ton of money. So, so if like all those ran out, you could do self-publishing. Difference between self-publishing, from what I understand, is you actually have to front some of the money, right? You have to pay for some of it, but more of it comes back to you, right? You get full. Where how some of these other deals work is you get a you'll get you'll negotiate for an advance, and they'll give you a sum of money based on what part of the book you're at, the intro, when the manuscripts, and all this stuff, and then. With the money, you could do a few things. You could hire a ghostwriter. You could write it yourself. You could take it all. You don't have to sell one book and that advance is still all yours, but you're giving up big percentages of other things, right? Royalties, percentage on sales, stuff like that. So there could be a fact that I don't sell one book that I sold, but I still get the full advance, assuming that okay. the, the publisher will accept the manuscript and publish it. I was going to say, you're going to set, you set yourself up for a podcast and a book that you're both going to make $0 from after all this work that you put in. <laughs> but <laughs> no, we're gonna, nobody but we're revenues. You're going to sell a bunch, so we're good. But hey, I'll tell you, I know of many people, and I, I think it's great. They're like, didn't get a publisher deal. I believe in myself. They'll put up, I've seen 1,000. I've seen two. I've seen people put up to 25,000 to get their own book on shelves. So does your your book deal work like you get X amount for every book that you sell? Is there like you sell a thousand, you sell ten thousand, you sell a hundred thousand, you get like bonuses? You hit New York Times bestseller, you get a, a bonus. Like what is it? Good question. How do, how do you even? What is a New York Times bestseller? I feel like every book's a New York Times bestseller. You want my last opinion? I'm going right to the contract. I'm like I don't know what I could fucking share, and I do not want my book deal to go away. But what happens like high level is I get this sum of money at different stages based on like okay. You accepted the deal, get saw a little bit. You submitted the manuscript a little bit. Manuscript's been accepted, you get a little bit. It's on shelves, you get a little bit. So they break it up. And then, so that money comes in. And then the revenue has to be met based on the percentage of sales of my advance. So I'm making this up. Suppose I'm going to use a number that's ridiculous so people don't know. Suppose my advance is $5. In book sales, I would have to first make up that $5. Then on top of the $5, I would then get the percentage. 
And then if, you know, if there's an audio recording, I get a small percentage of that. If there's merch sales or there's a book tour, you get a percent. If it goes international, you get a percentage of that. So that's how it works. So when they hit grand slams with like huge books, they're making so much money, right? It sounds like a Kevin O'Leary Shark Tank deal. Here's a, here's another interesting. I inter- I met with one ghostwriter who did, uh, I think it was like, I think it was Oprah's book. It was like a big name, okay? And so the advance for that, this was interesting. The advance for that was like a million bucks. So what she, what I heard is that like Oprah just gives the full advance to the ghostwriter. Oprah's like, you could just take the million and whatever I sell, I'll get. Right. So a lot of people use it as a branding tool. I would never do that. Right. I'll, I negotiated the hell out of, I got a ghostwriter. I negotiated the hell out of my ghostwriter because I want to make money on top. I'm not, I don't have for money. Like I need to, if I'm hustling, I need to make a book. So it's all, it's, it's, I think why people do it impact for what they have to say. I candidly think people say ego because like traditionally someone's like name someone out there that said they wrote a book and they're not proud of it. Right. So let's just be real. And I think it's a huge brand. It's a huge branding tool. Think about the money. And I'm not, I think Michelle Obama is amazing. I think her story is great. I think the impact she has is incredible. She inspires individuals all over the planet. Think about the money that Michelle Obama made from the branding of the book, her book tours. She was selling stadiums out. So I think it's a big branding play. Smart. Now, you didn't answer. How do you become a New York Times bestseller? I love your... Dude, the drill down on David is <laughs> like, fire. That's another thing. So I think one of my goals with this book would be, if I could be a New York Times bestseller, like it would be amazing. And I think it'd be the coolest thing ever. But then I like peeled on your back. Like why? Stupid. Like literally just ego, which is fucking sad. The only reason that I say that is because I think it would be cool to be a New York Times bestseller to say that I could say it, which is fucking pathetic. That's a problem with our world. It's something I need to work on. That's terrible. How do New York Times determine it? I've heard it's all based on what your sales are from when you pre-launch to when the book launches in the first week or a time period after that. But what they look for is, suppose I'm a jillionaire, right? Suppose I am Oprah Winfrey. If I'm Oprah Winfrey and I don't care about the even million dollar advance, I'll just buy $3 million in books. I know I'll get New York Times bestseller because all those books sold. So I heard that New York Times will actually do the research to see where the books are being purchased from. And based on that, they'll then determine if, because it's all subjective, if you should be on the list, if the content makes sense. There's a lot of subjectivity to it, but you can't, I don't think you can really buy your way in. And then I heard if you do buy your way in, there's an asterisk on the New York Times. There, It'll say like big supply, unverified purchase or something like that. Wow. Yeah. I'm right, still so researching it because I'm an idiot and I'm falling a victim to this system that I want to be a New York Times bestseller just to say I want to be a New York Times bestseller when really it means nothing to me. It just means ego all from a system that is built from a media company, New York Times, that has convinced my brain that I should be on the list because then people will pay to be on the list. And then who's getting all the benefit of this? New York Times because I sit there and put on my profile, New York Times bestseller. What a fucked up world we live in. I'm just laughing because I can see you staring disaster. at the ceiling at, at night and be like, wait a minute. That is the system. I don't want to be a New York Times. Why do I want to be a New York Times? Like, imagine, David, you create a company that people all over the world, that all powers and influences, Oprah, like Barack Obama, everyone is like, I want to be a David Arduin best time seller. Yeah. I'm fired up for it. Done. I'm done. Are we good? We're good with the book? We're good with the book. If I lose my book deal because of this, I'm going to fucking be really upset. When does the book (laughs) come out? I just submitted the manuscript. I worked so hard on it. I I don't know. It should be released in, I don't know, maybe like nine months. I think it's like nine. Dude, it takes forever, bro. It takes forever. We started writing in November, December. Just submitted it now. It's archaic. It's archaic. Let's let's turn the page. Let's turn the page to something that's a little (sighs) less archaic. Okay. Let's take a breath too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take a sip. Take a sip. Um, Spain's I want to go back at the to something that Joe talked about, which was fascinating. And this is relates directly to you. He says that influencers are able to build a calculation based off their engagement rates for how much their posts costs. Okay. And he does this with his clients. Do you have a calculation or an equation that you have to determine what you charge for a post and a story? And if so, how did that come about? What people make in influencing has nothing to do with your followers has nothing to do with, I'm sorry, the total amount of followers, right? You might see someone with 10 million followers, but if they don't have the right demographic or the right engagement and the right uh, material, if they're not rated, right? G-rated, R-rated, there's so much more that goes into it. So what my personal rates are determined by are not my following. 
it's determined strictly like in my brain what my engagement is at that time. How do I determine personally what my engagement is? The big things, guys, it's like story views. That's a big thing. Like how many people are viewing my story? Um, is a story view like how long do I have to walk, look at it for a story view? So even if you just look at it, I, I would get credit for a story view. So that's a wow, big one. Okay. One thing they'll monitor is like how many times if I put an at symbol, like say I put at David Arduin, how many people click that? How many like swipe up, you know, what the engagement of your posts are. So like how engaging are your posts? People will look at the quality of the content. Like how are you shooting it? Is it done organically? Is it fake? Like think about from your sake, if you're a brand and you want to invest in someone that's going to help you grow your business, what are things you want to see? It's just the same things that they want to see. And then based on how well you're doing it, you can dictate what your rate should be. So what do I, what, you know, what have I done is since 16, I've been in business and finance. Since my grandfather taught me about why he left his investment uh, advisor, because his advisor always told him when to buy, never when to sell. He took a huge fee out, took every dollar, learned himself how to invest his money and sat me down and taught me how to do it. And that is what I could do better because some of those people I mentioned, they could sell, maybe they could sell it, and I'm not discounting anybody. Maybe they could sell a toothbrush, but maybe they can't sell a technical financial product. Maybe they can't talk about how to remove debt, you know? And so that is, uh, you know, something that's, that's really interesting that I think that you have to do in this space. You have to differentiate yourself with the value you add. So you're not doing the same thing everyone else is and that you're not getting caught up in the mass amount of influencers there are, or that could go to your corporate world too, right? How many employees work at your company? What are you doing different? That, that scenario I just described doesn't just have to do with influencers. It has to do with every space in the world, even coaching hockey. What are you doing well, different? Yeah, it's truly remarkable. Yeah, it's truly remarkable, and it's a smart. It shows your business savvy to not want to compete with Tyler Cameron with a shirt off uh, selling a toothbrush. Yeah, shows a smart play. Guy, he is. I've seen him in person too. I've dug out with Tyler. Fucking guy is so good looking. It's insane. So you didn't ask my question. Do you have rates? Do you have a story per story per like? Let's get into the nitty gritty. Look at this guy just fucking chill down, David. <laughs> um. Why don't we do, let's do this over under. Why don't you take a, take a, again, this is me backed into guys. Listen to this. You hear this advice when you're backed into a corner, flip the switch. All right. Give me an over under what you get now. I'll give you an idea. Give me an idea. Like what's the brand? What's the product? And then I'll guess, uh, oh, so, um, so I'll guess the number and you can tell me over real quick. We'll play this game. But a good point is like, if I'm deciding this stuff, I'm just like, who is the brand? How big is the brand? Is the brand organic? Does the brand align with what I want to do with finance? Is it a curveball? Is it not a curveball? What is the biggest question I will ask to a brand is, wait, let me just get this out. Is what is your goal? Is your, the best thing I could get from brand is their goal is awareness. They want people to know about it. The worst thing I can get from a brand, the only way we dictate success, Jason, is if you sell our product. Just give me over under for stories. Well, you said it depends. But. So if I do a story, over under, a set of stories, three slides. Give me an over under. Three slides, something that aligns with your brand that you believe in. Three stories, they're going to go up 15 seconds each. Over under, I am guessing that you charge... And you're now using all this... Three grand. Over. Five grand. Over. What oh, fuck? Uh, <laughs> seven grand. Ideally over. Okay, so we're in the seven grand range. Over. For some stories. Over. Ten grand. If I got... Oh, wow, you're, you're a good interview, man. I feel like I'm back. It's 12,500. That's your rate. Three stories. All right, we're, we're somewhere <laughs> in that ballpark. I don't know. Depends on it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, let's well, see. you do know you have rates. You said you have rates, but it all changed. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> wow, curious Canadians fire. This is great. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I've had like, yeah. Um, I would say, wow, I this is see, this is the problem with the world. I'm so uncomfortable talking about this because I feel like when I tell people I'm going to get judged, I feel like people are going to be like. You're so fucking no, lucky. So you, you stepped I got to cut you off. I have some people are going to be like, you're an idiot. And then I have some brands who will be like, I won't work with you anymore. So that's no, but then I, saying but it, like, that's what goes through my but head. It's educational. At the I end know, of the day, but it's I, why am I getting no so what? nervous talking about this? That's why I want this podcast because I get so fucking nervous talking about this shit. We shouldn't, I should just be able to say right now, this is what my rate is on this deal. This is, but we're, we're like handcuffed. I'm even handcuffed by contracts. I can't even talk about some of them. And obviously, I don't want to lose that money. So therefore, I'm not going to talk about them. But I would say that this is a fucked up problem. However, yeah, I would say, listen, if I get a brand I really like, if I get a brand I really like, I believe in them, which is what I only want to do. For stories, I would want a minimum of like 
that six to 10 range. Okay. Okay. That's, I mean, six to 10 range. uh, That's no slight. And it's like you said, it's a brand you want to work with. So that's, but also like, all right, let me put this out there. You do an ad. It decreases and get like people know who wants to watch TV and see a commercial who wants to listen to the radio and see commercial. Right. So you do a brand and that kills engagement. Those things that are important. It kills people are like, if, if, if the brand especially isn't authentic to who you are, people see through it. You get nasty DMS, you get friends that make fun of you, which is whatever. Like I'm not sitting here asking to be a victim, like sob story, but I'm also telling you the other side of it. Yeah. It's like a TV show, right? I guess like if you have a TV show that's 90% ads and 10% content, who the fuck's going to watch it. So what do you charge for your posts? Is it like a, a give me an X factor. Like it's a, Three and a half X, four X, five X. Well, here's what I'll tell you. The total impressions made in a post versus story is astronomically different. So okay. therefore, as a business owner of your Instagram, you have to be aware of that. And we just talked about it, right? Like imagine you have commercials from a TV show. Imagine like you have a sponsor that's literally just like, it's almost like the head of the TV show the whole time. Like the whole thing's in it the whole time, right? So right now we're at Encore Casino in Boston. Imagine this whole podcast right in the left corner, Encore Casino, like the whole time. And then ads, all Encore, all Encore. And now I'm giving Encore a plug and not getting paid for it. And and, um, my point in saying that is you have to, their price, knowing that the impressions of that post are astronomically greater. So therefore, anybody that's not, post that's not charging, in my opinion, based on what I've seen, a minimum of 2x of their stories is should have a reason for why. That's all. They should be able to justify, oh, I like the brand. I like the message. There's no disc. You know, they like, have a reason. All right. Here's a, here's a deep question. <laughs> Do you feel guilty ever with being an influencer and making money that, you know, would change people's lives to post on an Instagram, to post on your Instagram? Wow, that is such a deep question. I mean, as you as you as we talked about, like I love what I do for a living. I'm a hockey coach. This is my absolute dream job. I make fifty thousand dollars a year. I hear the Joe episode with you, and I'm thinking, like, like, am I missing something? Like, that's just the vulnerability in me. Mm-hmm. You relate to us because we're your friends, and I can see that's why you're squirming on the, <laughs> on the <laughs> screen right now because you're you're basically talking God, to me, so your friends, right? Yeah. So do you ever feel guilty for taking the money when you've worked so hard as a corporate banker and you understand the world of how hard it is to make a dollar in being able to make $50,000 on a post or $30,000 or $25,000 on a post on your Instagram? Great question. Here's what my response would be. Mm, all right, I'm going to get a little deep here. Do I feel bad or remorseful for the company? No. Like, if anything, let's take this learning lesson away of someone who's willing to speak about it, is that big companies forever, since corporations have existed, spend tons of money on marketing and advertising. And if I'm a businessman and I am on the board of those companies, I am sitting there every day, spend this money. This is how we acquire business. This is how we grow. But the takeaway from being on both sides of that is, how do we become better consumers to recognize this? I'm telling you what I do on social media. I'm telling you what I'm getting paid. I'm telling you how it works. But companies have to pay for new clients and companies should always pay for new clients and companies should be forced by competition to put the best product out there so that this isn't like a win-lose thing. This is a win-win thing. You're getting a pe- you're getting a product. You're getting a brand that can change your life regardless of what it is, whether it's a really good candle that burns longer than the other candle or it's a pair of shoes that have better quality and a better look, like whatever it is, as a consumer, my thing to you is just be aware. There's a lot of money well fucking beyond my little story. Well, like those added million zeros that people put out there to build their business. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's what keeps the world going because those businesses hire people. Those people that are hired pay for their families. They pay for healthcare. They pay for everything. Like that's what makes the world go round. There's nothing wrong with competition. There's nothing wrong with marketing or branding. It's just as a consumer, be aware of what you're being position to understand what you're buying, how you're buying it, what it could do for you. And if it could change you for the good or your process, or even a smile on your face and you could afford it, that's great. My only thing is every time you say yes, every time you buy, just think through it.
Just make it make sense. So that's a long answer to a question that is a deep question. And your answer shows to me two things. One, you're not guilty, but you feel a moral responsibility, which is why this podcast is so great because you 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 should be if you're not I'm going to tell you you should be proud of what you're doing you should be proud that you're able to make the money on the platform yeah you got a break that most people don't get but you've earned the right through your your business sense and savvy to find a niche to have the platform that you do to use it for the good that you're using it and I can tell you feel a little guilty because you're sitting here today educating others on that and I think you're using this opportunity to say this is what's happening and then you're just educating everybody around it and yeah you are you just like everyone who does anything else you've earned the right to be successful so i think to your um, point I, I, one quick thing is like with a platform like, i don't care what it is like joe even said it like there are these idiots out now that have a platform that are impacting the world and so i think if you have a platform if you're talking to one person you're talking to millions of people you have a platform and with a platform i do think comes responsibility and picking and choosing the right things has a lot of power and a lot of also moral and ethical behavior. For example, when I, I'll tell you this story. I just got off the show and I was offered, what are those vape thing called? I'm blanking it. So it's a vape. It's a vape pen. Jewel. Jewel. I was off. I told you about this deal. Didn't I tell you about this deal? Yes. In 2018. Do you remember I told you about this deal? Yes, I do. I think so. So this, are you talking about the the 75? That's the deal. Right. When you got off the show, just got off the show. Don't know much about this. Can like you know trying to figure out this world, busting my balls, hating my life as corporate soldier the last ten years, and I got offered seventy five thousand dollars from Jewel, the vape company, and they told me it was like an experience thing. You just you could do any experience you wanted, a bucket list thing. They'll pay for it, skydiving, whatever, and you don't even have to smoke the Jewel, but like they will incorporate that it's a Jewel ad. And I'm thinking all I got to do is like do anything I want in my life, seventy five k. That's a lot of money. You know, you called us. You called I us. Called You're like, you Good boys. boys, I need Do you some advice that? here. And I think we were like, at first, like 75K. Yeah, like, like I, I do don't it. Want All to... you got to do is put one post up. Do it. What do, do you mean? It. Do it. But I, I ended up pulling the plug on it. And that 100%. was a time. Right now, if you said, hey, I'll give you 75K for Juliet, I'd laugh. Like, not because of the money, guys. I would laugh because I would never fuck it. Like, knowing what I know now, I would never do it. You couldn't pay me $10 million. If someone paid me $10 million right now to do a Juliet, I would say no. Swear to God. Because of the impact that could have on kids and kids' kids and what, and maybe it would, maybe it would. like that is why. And for I will say with this platform comes responsibility. I was proud. So I look back at that. I am proud of that decision because that's an example of where I could have been chasing money, could have just jumped off a plane and done it and jewel, and no one could have been impacted and taken home 75K. But with that comes responsibility. And I will put this out there people from the bachelor world ended up doing that. There you go. There you go. So, but, and, You've, you're on record saying that you have rates four times higher than some of your peers, and it's decisions like that that probably position yourself to do so. Yeah, yeah, I did say that last time. I think it's position. I think it's the niche thing. I think it's the thing goes mm-hmm. back to the toothbrush shells. So let me ask you a Whoa, question. Wow, How? you are grinding me right now. Now I know <laughs> what it feels like to be on this podcast. It's not easy, but it's also I feel like interesting or hopefully for the good. Well, here's a question I was gonna just gonna ask. Okay. I remember specifically talking to you on end when you were deciding to leave the bank to do this full time, right? And your biggest worry was, I'm scared because I don't know how long I can do this for. And I remember my response to you was, Jay, you don't even know what it is that you're going to do because you're at the bank the full time. So take all that energy, invest it in this project, and then see where it can take you. Now, after hearing what Joe said about 86% of, of the youth wanting to be influencers growing up, the question no longer is how long can you really do this for, but like, what's your take on the future? Good question. I agree with Joe. I think the future of social media and social media advertising is going nowhere. I think it is when you build trust in someone, those are the people that actually find success in this, long-term success. And so those are the people that have the platform and the responsibility, have done it the right way. They've built the trust. They've built it all. They've built a community. So they're doing the right thing. They're doing, they'll, they'll call out ship products. They'll call out the best products. Those are the people that should have the power and should be making the money and it's going nowhere. I think the platforms will change. I don't think it'll always be Instagram. I don't think it'll always be TikTok. I don't think it'll always be Snap. I think that'll change. And I think to Joe's point, you can't even be a politician anymore without a following, which is fucking insane. So I think the future 
of the world that we live in is social media. I know it's a little sad, maybe disheartening, but I will say, think about TikTok. For anyone out there, it's like, I've never, I don't even know social media. Think about TikTok. No one was on TikTok. And these people just started dancing on TikTok and became instant celebrities. And not many people are like, I don't want that. But then there's people doing educational stuff. There's finance stuff. There's like, I even saw one, how to fold your laundry. She's got like a million plus followers. Like think of, here's the, here's the takeaway. Be an early adopter. See something and do it. If you feel like it's right for you, be an early adopter because you never know today, everything's blowing up. How many times a day, how many times a month do I text you being like, seeing, send you something on TikTok and be like, how did I not think of this? I could be doing this. Yes. That's it. I think just be an early adopter in something that you believe in and it'll pay off. As you heard, I'm a foodie. I I see food review people on TikTok. I'm like, that. I should have been doing that a long time ago. But it's just someone decided to do it and I didn't. So that's my fault. Last comment. I think people that fail in like social media or maybe The Bachelor or whatever, they're being like, I think if you're only thinking about you and yourself, it's not a successful strategy, right? If you do have a platform, if you're trying to bring some value, it's not about you. Like, get over yourself. Do it. Do, make impactful statements. Do things that are going to inspire. Tell stories about your life or your experiences that can impact a lot of people for the good. I think too many people get too selfish. And the, I think selfish leads to destruction. What we talked about with Joe is like the whole drug thing, especially with people from The Bachelor. Like, you get off, you you're like, you're this average person. You're living life. You get off, you get this super high. All these people know who you are. And then life goes on. There's other episodes and you're not as relevant and all this stuff. And people just start chasing and grabbing and clawing to get back. And that's when it becomes outrageously destructive. Crazy. Crazy. You want to end with the game? Let's end with the game. Yeah. Let's end with the game. Let's end so with the game, baby. I still have one, one, one big question to ask you at the end. Okay, you can ask me. Um, at we're the gonna end. play over under. Over uh, under. We've already touched on it this time. I'm gonna say some, a statement. I'm gonna say with a dollar amount attached to that statement. You're gonna tell me over and under. Okay, not, not, maybe not a dollar amount, but do you remember followers that you had before you went on the show? Oh God. Over under two thousand. Under. Yeah, it was like four hundred. <laughs> over under your first brand deal ever, three thousand dollars. Oh man, over. Okay, first but, post ever. But not by you much. must have been ear to ear, not, double dipping at the bank. Not by much. Not by okay. much. It was a slight over. But corporate corporate banker getting oh yeah thirty five hundred dollars oh, yeah. to post something on Instagram. I was like, Wait what? Wait, if I could do this like a few times a week, this could change my life. Over under the rock gets two million dollars per post on his Instagram for an ad. Do you know how many followers he has? Uh, Two twenty or something. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the Rockets. Oh man, that's a good one. I'm gonna say the Rockets. Oh man, there's no way the Rock will do a post on his Instagram for a deal ever under seven figures. No way. No way. I believe no that. Fucking I believe way. that. Dwayne Johnson. I'm wrong. Come for me wrong. There's no way. Do you think that he is the most profitable or has the Ability to charge the highest rates on anybody over Instagram? Or nope. do you think that goes to someone else? I think I would have to do more research, but I think that like Kylie Jenner is like the yeah. like the Kardashians to have the most influence and power maybe in the world. It's crazy. I mean, they'd be a whole episode. It's just crazy, talk dude. About how they think about that. that. Like, it's crazy. Over under, I've read an article here, so I'm interested in your take. Over under, your net worth being $600,000. Anyone that Googles someone's net worth, I tell like anyone out there, if you say something, something net worth, I promise you, I will bet you every penny I have that it's wrong. No one on the internet knows your net worth. Even if you're like a publicly traded company where all the information is available, no one knows. It's all Fagazi. That is over. My net worth is over that. Well, I feel like a douchebag. I'm not, well, I'm not surprised because. My last question is how we're going to end because I had to get to it. Those have been waiting for this, okay? Joe said if Jason was doing his social media right, he would make 400 to 600K in a calendar year off of social. So, Jason Tardick, the question that I've been waiting for as your friend, the question that the people at home have been waiting for, the thing that you teased out for this episode, was Joe Galliz, a Joey Viral from Viral Nation right? Do you leverage 400 to 600K off your social in the calendar year? I don't know why I get so nervous about this. Like, this is, this is, I'm glad I'm in the hot seat because I know how it 
all works. But let's just say, so it's 2021. I know exactly where I am to this year. And the answer is over. Over half a million dollars okay. off your social in one month. Never. Under. I have never done that. Okay. But fair to say that I made the discovery that my best friend's a millionaire today. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Define millionaire. See how I put that back on you? Yes. Define millionaire. As a voice of the viewer, a millionaire <laughs> is someone who makes more than a million dollars a year. That's definitely not what a millionaire is, by the way. <laughs> I want a poll. I want you to put a, a poll on your Instagram. Is not someone Defi- who, this is the problem. A millionaire is someone who makes a million dollars a year. It's a personal finance guy. This is the whole problem with society. A millionaire is not someone who makes a million dollars. You can make a million dollars a year and then you're taxed 50% and then you owe this and this and this and this and then your net income is all that you're actually doing. A millionaire is someone who I, I think, and we could argue this, we could take it to the viewers, of course the viewers, a millionaire is someone who has a net worth, I believe, over a million dollars. But how do you know net worth? You just said that net worth is BS. Oh, no, no, no. Net worth is a very real thing. I think when you Google someone's net worth, it's BS. Okay. Needless to say, <laughs> I'm finding out that my is, friend in, my, in the way that I view things is a millionaire. And to me, that's pretty fucking cool. Can I say something? Yes. I'm going to say it anyways, because that's kind of what I do. Can I, I'm just going to say that I'm very proud of you. Because you haven't ever said this to me. You haven't ever said this to our friends. You're obviously making and doing really well for yourself and making a lot of money. But I can see you squirm over there in your in your seat. But just I think people in your situation get a lot more hate. And there'll probably be a lot of people in the comments who might might have a negative connotation to someone talking about it or saying you're not worth it or oh my God, all they do is post. But I think that as your friend, like what friend doesn't want to see their other friend be successful and wildly successful at that? I know it's enriched my life. I've seen things, done things, been a part of things, this podcast for one of them that has not been possible without you doing what you're doing. And who wouldn't want to see their their friend successful, happy, thriving in life, newly engaged, all those things? I just, I just think that you squirming in your seat is funny to see. So I'm sorry for making you do this. But I think I I had to end it with just saying like, at the end of the day, I know you think that it might breed like jealousy and stuff like that and envy, but I just want to say I'm super proud of you and you should be proud for doing what you're doing. Well, that's very, very sweet. I feel like I'm in a a month of tears. Like everything anyone says makes me want to tear up and that (laughs) makes me want to tear up. I, I do want to say this out there though, is that I just want to take like ownership, right? Um, it's a crazy world that I knew nothing about and that I started to learn after I got very lucky on being on a show. But then I think just positioning yourself right. And I do think that, I think that like life's a, like a life's a lot of, it's sad, but life's a lot of bit of luck, right? Like putting yourself in position to get lucky, but then when you're lucky, being smart about it, like, like life only gives you so many opportunities, right? But like when life does give you an opportunity, it's just like take advantage of it and be smart. And just, I think the more that we can all educate ourselves, right? The more we could all know about what's not told to us, what's not taught to us, what we can't find out otherwise from listening to one another, the better off we're all going to be. And so uh, it's nice of you to say that. I feel like I get squirmish about this because I hate that when people... I don't know. I hate the thought of people just being like, you're such a lucky little fuck. Shut up. Like, just shut up. Right. Like you little, and I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to do anything. It's uncomfortable for me to talk about this, even when it's good or bad. And I think part of this is, this is a guy who's been in finances talking about, but his grandfather, my grandfather showed me his whole portfolio at 16. Getting comfortable with this stuff is only going to make, I think us all better. And I just want to end it by saying like, over and over again, I beat it to a dead bush. Nothing about this is to like brag or think you're cool or anything. It's literally um, just to kind of open things up. And the more that we can get people in the seat that I'm in right now, opening up about everything, like, you know, college kid talking about his debt or any, like think about any industry where people can give us some insight and information and the struggle to start and where they made their money and the profits and things we should be aware of. I just think the better off we'll be. So on that Well, no one's, no one's ever going to learn from it if they don't hear it from something like this, something that you're doing, because you ain't going to learn about it in school and you see how skirmish you are talking about it. No one's going to voluntarily talk about it in their own given right to uh, amount of people that you are. So 
So good on you. Good on us for one day in the books and we're already squirming over here. So, I uh, love it. But David, usually I'm hosting. I have a guest. You're the voice of the viewer. You're doing the recap. Now you are the host for this episode and I am your guest. So you have the honor. We're not doing a recap because there's no recap to be had. We hit it all. You're going to have to give us the ding, 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 closing bell and tune into it next Monday. Episode you can't afford to miss. Let's see. Do you got it? Ding, ding, ding. That's the closing bell with Jason Tardick. Jason, thanks so much for coming on today. What a great episode. We really peeled back the layers there to find all about Jason from the start to the end in his journey from a corporate banker to an influencer. We made him squirm. We made him cry. We made him regret even sitting here today, but it all ended up in one great episode. And to all our future guests, be ready because you know it's not so easy in here when you're in the hot seat. So Thank you very much, Jason, for coming on. Stay tuned next week. I believe we have... Um, we have Chicks in the Office coming. First of all, you nailed that closing, but you got to finish it. We got Chicks in the <laughs> Office coming in next week, disclosing everything and anything about how they actually negotiate with Dave Portnoy, what they do with Barstool Sports, the money they make, when they started, and did or did they not leave college to even start where they are today? All of that is told by Chicks in the Office. I will end this with a quote they said, we've never had an interview like this in our lives and we loved it. So that being said, David, thank you for interviewing me. This has been awesome. David will be back for the recap, the voice of the viewer for Chicks in the Office. Please make sure to subscribe. Give us five stars in the comments. Tell us who you want us to have, topics you want us to cover, and make sure to tune in next Monday for another episode of Trading Secrets, a show that you can't afford to miss.